so much for tuning into the How We Rise Leadership Podcast, where we are redefining leadership and helping you step into the leader that both your destiny and humanity is calling you to lead and to thrive as a whole life leader and to lead all areas of your life well. If you are not currently subscribed to our podcast, whether or not you listen to them on iTunes or Spotify, please click subscribe so you can get alerts on new episodes. Typically we drop new episodes on Wednesdays and that way you can get alerts. If this podcast is supporting you, we would love for you to leave a comment, which then helps us get our message out there to more people. And the last thing is I wanna gift you with a chapter from my book, This Is How We Rise. It's the resilience chapter, and it really has all these amazing tools to help you turn obstacles into opportunities and to help you reframe around challenges. So you can subscribe for our newsletter at shesummit.com. That is shesummit.com. Sign up for our newsletter and you will get a free chapter of our book. And again, thank you so much for being part of our She Summit community and the How We Rise community. I am so excited to share with you uh, and introduce you to our speaker and guest speaker for today's call. Uh, She is, of course, a She Summit speaker alum. We've had over 600 speakers since 2012. And Alex, actually, Alexandra Carter is, is is our speaker today. She spoke at She Summit back in the fall. And she is a professor at Columbia Law School, specializing in mediation and negotiation. Every year she helps thousands of people make deals, resolve conflict, and step confidently into their future. Her new book, Ask For More, 10 Questions to Negotiate Anything, which I'm holding right here in my hand, uh, just launched on May 6th, I believe. And last week it hit Wall Street Journal's bestsellers list. I think it hit number five on the list, becoming the only negotiation book solo authored by a woman to make this list. And today we're going to be talking about how do we ask for more and really just this whole new approach to negotiations and our worthiness and and traditionally too from a gender equality, gender diversity lens too, I feel that, you know, the way that in many ways I, I, I often say that business and work was really designed for men. Traditionally, when you look at structures of government and corporations and how really women, how long have women really been in the workplace for, right? Like 2020 is the hundredth year for the for women to have the right to vote. And we're still really on in the movement. And really there's been a very masculine, like a lot of the leadership definitions out there have been very masculine traits oriented. They were in many ways designed by masculine traits. And I love this book because, and I love her movement and her message because it's all about reframing around negotiation, not being this sort of like stressful thing. And, um, and, and she really just takes such a feminine approach to it. And it's also just, it's such a wonderful new way for us to reframe around asking for more and our worthiness. So without further ado, hello, Alex. Hi, Claudia. It's so lovely to be here. And hello, everyone. I'm thrilled to be with you today. Congratulations, Wall Street Journal. I mean, it is like when I saw that, I'm like, yes. Um, 
And so I'm so excited because right now we're also all in a time of COVID-19 and a whole new world, mm -hmm. living through a global, a global pandemic. And I know fear and scarcity and value and just our job security, like there's just so much uncertainty out there. And so I think this is such a relevant conversation. But where I want to start is just first, if you could share with us, you know, what was your journey? How did you get to this work? and your journey to becoming and starting this movement around asking for more negotiations, teaching law, all of that. Sure. Well, it started, I think, in two, it was in two phases. So the first phase was during law school. And I don't know how many on the women uh, of the women or men on this call identify with this, but I kind of pushed the default button and went to law school. I almost didn't know what else to do with myself. And I didn't have a clear view of what to do on the other end. And then I was entering my final year and a friend of mine approached me and said, hey, Alex, you know, I'm taking this course and um, it involves a lot of uh, talking. I think you'd be great at it. And it turned out what she was talking about was the course I now teach. It's the mediation clinic. And this is a course where the professor works with students and trains them to help people negotiate better and resolve conflict. And Claudia, so I received my training and I went down to this dingy New York City courtroom and I sat in a room and I helped two people work out a conflict. And I swear at that moment, I heard a voice saying, Alex, this is it. You found what you were meant to do for the rest of your life. Mm. But that wasn't the end of my journey. I started to realize as I grew in expertise as a conflict resolution professional, that I was incredible at helping other people negotiate, but I felt much less comfortable advocating for myself. And it wasn't until my first salary negotiation, and I bet everybody on this call remembers that moment. And I went into the room in my power suit and I thought, okay, I can do this. I psyched myself up. And then they came in with the offer and it was above what I expected. So, I kept my face neutral and I said, thank you very much. I'm going to go back and run these numbers and I'll come back to you. Got out of the room and I thought, I don't know what to do. Maybe I should just be grateful for this offer. But I called a senior woman in the field first and I said, can you help me out? What should I do? And she said, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do, Alex. You're going to go in there and you're going to ask for more. And I said, I'm going to ask for more. And she said, yes because when you teach someone how to value you, you teach him how to value all of us. So if you're not gonna go in there and ask for your more for yourself, I want you to go in and ask for more for the sisterhood. Do it for the women who are coming up after you. And so that, Claudia, was the second moment when I realized that I had a responsibility not just to help other people, but to stand up and learn how to stand in my own worthiness and teach other people how to do that for themselves. I love that. And I think that we, and we should just start there too, because we talked a lot about collaboration in our prep call and this collaborative approach. And so oftentimes when we think about asking for more, it's uncomfortable. Like traditionally there's this discomfort with asking something for yourself. It feels almost selfish in many ways, right? Or it's just, there's insecurity around it. There's self-esteem challenges around it. So that's collaborative approach. Can you talk more about that? 
Yes, absolutely. So one of the things I want people to know is that when you ask for more, a lot of times I think folks, you know, you're so right that we've imbibed this kind of masculine, um, you know, depiction of negotiation. Like you have to be the biggest, loudest, most aggressive person in the room in order to be successful. And that's simply not true. I mean, first of all, I'm 5'1", okay? I'm 5'1 and a half. So I'm never the biggest person in the room. I'm usually the smallest. And these days I wear sneakers, okay? So I'm just pint-sized. They don't even see me coming. But also, you know, negotiation is not a haggling back and forth over money. It's about steering relationships. That's what negotiation is. And the great news is, that we women in particular are incredible at steering relationships. You can in fact be somebody who grows a business, grows in wealth, grows in your own self-esteem and you can do it by leading with questions, with listening, and also by finding common ground and mutual value with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And this whole concept, what I found your book to be so groundbreakingly different was it's really all about asking for questions. It's asking questions. Like that's the strategy. And when I first, when you first hear the term ask for more, it's been a, it's been a term that's been out there. I know Mika Brzezinski wrote her book, um, being on Morning Joe and how she was, you know, obviously that's, she's, she's a, a, a famous news anchor and her book has had a lot of press and media over the years. So we all sort of have this in this sort of fourth wave of the women's movement. We've had sort of her be sort of the face of this conversation and just, and really just, again, our worthiness. I know my friend Amanda Steinberg had the daily worth platform and there's a lot of experts out there on money and our relationships with money. So when I first saw the title, I was like, Oh, ask for more. It just sort of, it's probably just like another book on, you know, just how do we, it's on our worthiness or something, you know, just looking at, I get so many speaker pitches every single, every single year and so many just experts that are sending me things. But what I found when I dug deeper, like the title actually has a real, it, it's a whole other meaning behind it, which is the whole strategy is actually asking questions. And that's actually part one and part two of your book is what questions are you asking and framing in order to actually get better outcomes in your negotiation? So can you tell us more about this strategy around asking questions and give us some examples of what that means? Yes, so I'd like people to know two things. So the questions that we ask ourselves are critically important to our ability to lead. You know, and in fact, in Ask For More, I talk about the research that links leadership to self-awareness. And the way we cultivate that self-awareness is by asking ourselves the right questions. And so Ask For More is in fact just 10 questions. It's one question per chapter. And the first five questions are what I call the mirror. Those are the questions you ask yourself. And it's because your greatest source of power in negotiation is not bluster, it's not aggression it's knowledge. It's how well you know yourself and you know the situation. And so my goal for those five questions is in a short period of time to help you cover that ground and hold up that mirror. The second five questions are what I call the window questions. And those are fantastic questions that you can ask when you sit down with somebody else. They help you create deals. 
they help you break through conflict, and they help you really step into the person that you were meant to be. Hmm. And so, and I, I know what are your concerns and is one of the questions that really stood out to me, but I'd love to talk about some of the examples of these questions. So, you know, and perhaps I think Claudia, we should start with the mirror section first, let's right? Let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah, because I think, you know, it's so tempting for us to jump to the moment when we sit down with the other side. And in yeah. fact, there's also research to show, right, that when we do sit down with somebody else, that 93% of us are not asking the questions we need to get the most out of that negotiation. And I want you guys to be in that 7%. But let's start with the mirror. You know, I think people often start a negotiation by jumping right to a solution, you know, and especially in a time of crisis, we might, let's say, lose a client, right? Or lose an event or something happens. And so we almost overreact by saying, okay, I'm gonna start, posting a lot more on social media, or I'm gonna do a blast to everybody who's in my Rolodex and reach out and let them know what I have to offer. That is not the place to start your negotiation. Every negotiation should start by asking yourself this question, what's the problem I want to solve? Everything depends on the quality of your problem definition. So let me give you an example. Let's say you're an entrepreneur and you're a product supplier, okay? And you've just lost either a client or a segment of your business. Now, and you tell me, okay, Alex, I'm gonna do this email blast to all of the people in my Rolodex. I'm gonna stop you and say, what's the problem we're trying to solve? Are we, for example, just trying to bring in May revenue at any cost? And you know, come June, you're gonna have a bunch of one-time clients who aren't a long-term match for you, and you're gonna have to do this work all over again. Or are we trying to figure out who your best yeses are? Are we trying to figure out who strategically will be the best match for you? And if so, we're gonna take a totally different set of actions, right? We're going to reach out in the markets where you know you will have velocity, where you know you will be successful and we will apply our efforts there. Now, Claudia, I, so that's for a business. Let me give you a situation for a woman who's in corporate America. Yes. Okay. You're going in to say, you know, I'm going to ask for more salary. Okay, great. I fully support it. Again, though, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Are you merely just trying to have a monthly income of X? Or are you also trying to teach management that you're a leader? Are you trying to telegraph to them that you're going to be in the C-suite someday? Because if that's the problem you're trying to solve, then my dear, the salary is only one piece of what we are going to discuss because our whole strategy will be engineered around how do we teach people that you are destined for the C-suite. So before every problem, even if it's at home, even if I want to approach my nine-year-old daughter and say, get off the roadblocks, okay? That, that scourge against humanity. You know, instead of that, thinking about what's the problem I want to solve? Do I want her to be reading more? Do I want us to have more time to connect mom and daughter? What is it that's bothering me about the screens? And when I know the problem I want to solve, I'm not going to go in and say, get off the computer. I'm going to say, let's sit down and talk about reading. Right? And so it shapes your approach to every conversation you have. That's so powerful. And I think that 
there's such a mindfulness aspect to it. And it, it really starts with self-leadership first and that self-awareness and that relationship with yourself, as you mentioned, because you said really asking for more, the relationship really starts with yourself. And I think so often, you know, and I talk a lot about personal growth and that self-development work where we might just jump to, you know, when, when, we, when we are afraid or when we maybe feel scarcity or our worthiness is threatened, it's, it's like we sort of jump to this thing that we think is going to, like, I need this to happen. If this, this is what, if this happens, then it's like the if and then thing. And most of the time when people get the if and then, then they realize there's another if and then, like if, like, or when then, like when this happens, then X, Y, Z. And the truth is, is that oftentimes that is not, that is not what gives them that fulfillment and that joy and that satisfaction. And I love this because it, it, it's almost like it's personal growth. It's like working with a therapist to actually first with yourself, like therapizing yourself and saying, wait a second, like I'm so caught up, my center, my worthiness and my identity is so caught up with this thing that I feel like I need to ask for or like get in order to feel whole. And yet there's a deeper underlying thing there of like, wait, what is this really, really about? Yeah. And if I could speak to that for a minute, because I want to take it a step further. I just talked about defining the problem you want to solve. And if I can get personal here for a second, I think that oftentimes we'll set an initial goal or we'll solve a problem that's kind of superficial and isn't really where we want to be placing our efforts. So for example, sometimes I'll hear people say, well, the problem I want to solve is that I want to lose 20 pounds or the problem I want to solve is that I want to build a seven figure business. Okay. Or the problem I want to solve is that I need to be a bestseller. Okay. So I want to teach you something that I've done with myself and that I teach in the book. I want you to take that initial problem. Here's the problem I want to solve. And I want you to ask yourself this, what would happen if I achieved that? Okay. Because a lot of times when people say, I want to build a seven figure business, you know, I want this amount of income or when, when a writer says to herself, I need to make the bestseller list. And let me just go ahead and use this as an example, because I think, you know, I'm one of those people. I'm super hard on myself. I'm super achievement oriented. I've always been a striver. If you put a brass ring in front of me, like I will die trying to get it. Okay. I will, I'm short and I will just keep jumping until I get that brass ring. Okay. This audience has no idea what you're talking about. No idea. Right. No <laughs> idea. Okay. So I will say, right. I did this to myself. I wrote down, you know, the problem I want to solve is that I need to be a bestseller. And then I wrote down, what would happen if I achieved that? And I wrote down, well, I'd be able to serve people. I would, people would respect me and um, I'd be proud of myself. And then I looked at those and I thought, isn't it true that I'm already serving people? Isn't it true that the people who matter already respect me and can't I already be proud of myself for what I've accomplished? So sometimes when you set up that initial goal, I'm going to do this seven figure business. Some of that may be wonderful. It may be, it means impact. It means being able to provide for your family. But sometimes the answer that comes up is then I'll be worthy. And that's where I want you to take a pause because 
is your worthiness dependent on your paycheck? Is it dependent on what number you hit on a bestseller list? You know, it's not. You know, at the end of my life, really, what I want my legacy to be is about service. And so sometimes in the course of setting up that goal and really examining why you have set up that goal, you're able to talk to yourself a little bit more and figure out, you know, that you're already worthy and just as you are. That's right. That's right. And so I just want to really, as a, from a leadership lesson standpoint, and for everybody in the audience and who will also listen to this recording later on, is this is a profoundly significant and important leadership habit to cultivate and, and really work on, which is, you know, asking yourself the question of, you know, what are you trying to accomplish and what really, really matters? Because... I bet you I bet every single one of us right now has something whether it's an event an outcome like we're all waiting on something that we're, we've tied so much of our worthiness to and our identity to that again like if or when this happens you know then xyz and we probably all have that that idol or that center that is so consuming and really stealing our joy and stealing like all the, like we're so extraordinary and worthy as we are. And yet we give power. Like, what are you giving power to that doesn't deserve your power? Like literally it's, it's like you're giving your power away to something that doesn't deserve it. And so I just, I think that this leadership question of, you know, what's the problem I want to solve or like what, and I like your other questions in your chapter, like, what do I need? What do I feel like? So again, these, these, these mirror questions are so critical and it's the personal growth stuff. So I would say personal growth precedes leadership development and leadership development precedes impact or external impact. Yeah. You know, I tell students that learning comes in three stages. You know, the first is um, self-awareness. The second is skills, right? So you bring the self-awareness then to the toolkit you acquire. And the last step is to teach. And so by being a teacher myself, I am a continuous learner. And that is in fact the most profound blessing of what I do because every time I teach, teaching is a collaboration and we learn through that, which is uh, just wonderful. By the way, I love that three steps because it's almost like the, it's like the law school version of my spiritual version, <laughs> just like spiritual personal development. And I love that. So I want to talk about, um, let's talk about the, we talked about the mirror. And so let's talk about the window. So the first step when you're connecting with people, you can't redirect, you can't persuade unless you understand. And I find that when I take the time to lead with a question, that is when I really deepen my understanding of somebody else. I'm not assuming I know, you know, what's underneath what they're thinking. I get to know them and that's when I'm able to create the best deals. And so the first step, the first question that people should ask on any occasion is kind of a trick because it doesn't have a question mark on it at all. It is, tell me. Tell me are the two magic words that everybody should be asking first. You know, if you're supervising people at work, you know, tell me what the last month has been like for you. You know, tell me what you're seeing out there in the marketplace. 
If you're having a feedback conversation, tell me your view of what's been happening. When you ask that question, it's as though you're casting a giant net to capture everything, you know? I give the example, Claudia, in a lot of my workshops where I tell people I've just taken a family vacation. You know, remember that time when we could take family yes. vacations? And I would ask them, and I would say, you can ask me anything you like about it. Try to find as much information out as possible. And people usually ask me things like, where did you go? Um, or how long were you there? And think about the quality of those questions. You know, where did you go? I'm probably just gonna say Mexico, right? I mean, that's, that's not a question that gets you a lot of information. If you say, tell me about your family vacation, Alex, I'm gonna tell you not just where I went, how long I went, who I went with, but what I did, how I felt. You've just opened up a whole world for your view. And so let me give you a couple of examples for the people on the call. So, you know, in the entrepreneurial side, I recently counseled a startup company that had gone through a couple of rounds of financing and they had their next round coming up. And they called me because they've gotten a call from a distributor, a big distributor in a part of the country that they were desperate to break into. They had met with this distributor twice before. They went in with their pitch deck. They thought they got the deal. They didn't get the deal. So this time we spoke first and they went in for their third meeting. They did not lead with the pitch deck. They went in and said, we're so happy to be here. You know, we've been here twice before tell us how you're seeing the sector right now. And they sat back and the woman paused for a second and then said, all right, you wanna know why you didn't get the deal? I'll tell you why you didn't get the deal. Mm -hmm. I didn't see the data to support that my customers in this area were ready for a premium product like yours. Just didn't see it. Recently, I feel like it's a bit more mixed. I'm no longer sure. And so I called you in. Claudia, they now had the keys to the kingdom. They were able to show her the data, pitch to that concern, and they walked out with a six-figure deal in the midst of coronavirus. That is the power of tell me. But it's more than just that. You know, I think I told this example at, on the She Summit stage, but even with my daughter, you know, as a mother, oftentimes you assume you know what's in the mind of your child, and you don't. You know, last summer, um, my daughter started swimming for a competitive team in my town and I went to pick her up from her first meet and she was crying really hard. And so I pulled her aside and I said, Cece, what's wrong? And she said, mommy, I don't like those locker rooms. You have to share showers. And a girl came in while I was showering and it was so awkward. And I thought for a second, I'm like, okay, she's almost nine. I think this is a body um, image thing, but I didn't assume. I just said, tell mommy what made it awkward. And she was like, isn't it obvious, mom? And I'm like, you don't know, tell mommy. And she goes, we wanted our shower at different temperatures. Mm. Right? I mean, yes. You know, never assume always ask the broadest question. I, I spoke to a group of, at Chief of very senior women a couple yeah. of weeks ago, and one of them, a very senior banker, wrote to me a week later and said, I can't believe as a senior banker that tell me is so transformative, but I've been using it for a week and it is. So I would encourage everybody to start there. And the other piece too that I 
why tell me is so powerful is it because we're not often as human beings trained to listen before we speak. And I think that I know my husband and I are always battling over, you know, can you be a better listener, please? And so it is a leadership skill to be a really good listener and to lead with that sort of humility and learning place and that the area of softness versus like organic energy versus muscular energy. And, and, and most people want to be heard. I mean, back to creating an inclusive space and inclusive culture and inclusive relationships, people want to feel comfortable. They want to feel like they belong. They, they want to feel heard and seen and everybody, and most people have stuff that they're carrying, especially if it's a buyer or, you know, an influencer, right. That you're trying to, to, to negotiate with or ask for something from, whether it's to get budget for something, whether it's your promotion, whether it's a project that you really believe in. And I think that it just, it, 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 it just takes the, it takes the pressure out of the room in many ways and gives the counterpart an opportunity to speak and, and really make you a good listener. And so leading with being a really good listener, I love that as a strategy, something that simple. Yeah. And, and we don't often do it. It's amazing how just allowing even a few seconds of silence in a conversation and giving somebody space to talk can produce really, really profound things. Yeah. And I, and I want to talk about that and also just some of these like tactical tools because, you know, getting comfortable with silence is one of them. And also the fear of no, which I want to talk about. But, but before we actually bring that up, I, I do want to say too that, you know, I, I definitely fall into the camp of that person who is more of a talker than a listener. I got to get better at listening. And then I also have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people in my life and, and a lot of friends and, and colleagues that are actually much better at listening. And if anything, have issues with boundaries where it's hard for them to actually say no. And it's hard for them to actually find their voice and speak up. And so it's just interesting, right? How some of us are, our tendency, it, we probably, you know, can over talk talk over other people and really probably cut people off and really not even know that we're doing so versus like the, the folks in the room that are on the opposite extreme who are, you know, probably need to voice up more and have issues with boundaries. So I just think that that was another interesting thing that I wanted to bring up. Is there any, any tools there? I mean, or just other than self-awareness is just sort of being like, or leveraging, leveraging your tendency as your advantage. Yes. So I do think, <laughs> right? Both for extroverts like us and for introverts, you know, people who think before they talk. I mean, I think that you are like me in that you think by talking. And so sometimes you know where you're going by the end of the sentence and you're like, oh, here I am. I've arrived, right? <laughs> and other folks are going to sit back and they're going to fully think through their thought before they open their mouths. Yes. And there are great leadership qualities in both of those styles. I think myself as somebody who tends to talk more i would say you know for you and for anybody who's looking to develop listening as i am continuously it's like going to the gym i mean i discipline myself to just practice a few seconds of silence and really giving somebody space i make it a daily practice to allow more of that in my conversations and it's it's by the way it's an incredible negotiating tool. I had a friend of mine, a mom, she was going to be babysitting for um, a cousin of theirs over the summer. She worked at her kid's summer camp. Her kids got free tuition and she really wanted for the cousin to get free tuition for a week. 
So she called up the camp director and said, you know, listen, I've been working here a long time and um, this cousin's going to come. I'd love for you to do something for me on the tuition. And he said, well, I think, you know, we could probably take about 25% um, off. And all she did was say, hmm, and sit there. And then he's like, well, you know what? We'll copy the tuition for the week. And she said, thanks so much. All she did was sit on the phone and allow some silence and the offer came down to zero, you know? So it's an incredible, powerful tool. And this friend of mine called me up and did a touchdown dance. She was like, Alex, I didn't think I could do this. It turns out I just shut up and it really works. So Isn't that amazing. It, it's always oftentimes, I, I always say, everything can be more simple. And like the, the over-efforting that we do so often, you know, gets us more into trouble, right? Or, or we, we almost create blocks sometimes by over-efforting and over-talking versus just the surrender, like the power and the surrender. The universe can do more through our surrender than through our control. So then let's move on to no and the fear around no. And I think also, again, with the gender, you know, male versus female relationship with, you know, how we perceive a no, but I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, women and the no, you know, we fear it so much. We give it so much power. And it's really interesting because I have observed, and this has been demonstrated through research, that men really tend not to fear a no. They don't see a no as the end of the conversation. They see it as an opening offer. And they persevere through it frequently to get to a yes. And so let me just say that I have received a crash course in turning no into yes over the last two months. You know, as of March 2nd, 2020, I went out to lunch with my literary agents and they were like, Alex, you are killing it. You have all of these in-person book events. It's gonna be amazing. The media stuff is lined up, everything's lined up. And then all of a sudden, one by one, every single one of those events and appearances disappeared in like seven to 10 days. And everywhere I looked, it was a no. People saying, no, we're not gonna do this event and no, we can't um, support you right now. And so instead of just crumbling and saying, okay, that's it, I gotta know, I learned to use one of the questions in ask for more to turn a no into a yes. And here is the question. It is, what are your concerns? If you go to management and you say, you know, I'm undervalued, I've done research, here is the compensation package that my level of seniority and my level of contribution demands, and they come back and say no, all you need to do is say, okay, tell me your concerns. Because when somebody, you know, shares your concerns, then you know the barriers to the deal. I've had this during the course of promoting my book. So I had one client for whom I had done a ton of speaking and they had a really large outstanding bill to pay me. And so I wrote to them, Claudia, with, I thought this is an easy win-win. I said, listen, I'm promoting a book and you owe me a bunch of money for speaking. Here's my proposal. My proposal is that you buy one book for every one of your employees. And that's going to be around, you know, 800 people. And they wrote back by email a couple days later and said, sorry, nope, that's not going to work for us. Uh, just send us an invoice. We prefer to pay you. 
So I felt crushed, but then I remembered, Claudia, that I wrote a book called Ask for More. And so I picked it up <laughs> and I said, you know, thanks for sharing that. Please tell me your concerns. And they said, well, um, we haven't read the whole book yet. And I was like, well, I'd be delighted to FedEx it to you. You'll have it tomorrow. What else? And they said, well, we don't really have a culture of putting a book in front of our most senior members. And I said, fine, how many of those are there? And they said, um, about 150. And I said, okay, well, seems to me like we have a lot of daylight in between zero and um, you know the full amount. So read the book and call me next week. Do you know, Claudia, they called me the next week and they're like, we'll take 600 books. We're gonna take one for everybody who is not a senior partner and we're excited to do this. And so here's what I want people to know, you know, that first of all, the no is not about you. Let me repeat that. The no is not about you. That is usually about somebody else's um, stress, somebody else's level of understanding of the situation. It is not a reflection on you or your worth. And so I want people to know that you can persevere past the no, not in a sharky or aggressive way. You can do it by asking a question and listening. And when you do that, when you ask people what doesn't work for them, when you honor that objection, when you listen to it, and when you address it, you can create a lot of mutual value. Do you know, Claudia, that client came back, their employees love the book. They are so thrilled that we did that deal together and I wouldn't have created that value for them had I not called up and just asked the question. Yeah. And I just, that's so powerful and such a great strategy. And I think, you know, we had a question to on, you know, suggestions for introverts who aspire to be a leader. And I think that's just a great answer to that question as well. Like, you know, just asking these simple questions um, via email or on the phone uh, on, in a conversation is such a great is such a great tool. So I have the experience often because, you know, we, we work a lot with HR and, and corporate leaders, like, you know, big part of She Global's business is, yes, we sell our trainings and our conferences directly to consumers, like folks that are, would be on this call. Uh, but we also, you know, start, you know, we, we are an enterprise sales leadership company where we are reaching out and we're booking conversations and doing discovery calls. And it's definitely your typical enterprise, you know, process of, you know, conversations and deals could last, could be three months, six months, one year, you know, you're cultivating a relationship and, and obviously not everything is going to convert into a partnership, but this, the discomfort I find often that there is this like to not take it personally. Right. And I know that, um, anybody that is in a B2B sales role or like trying to sell any product or again, like whether it's the context also of like emailing senior management, a specific leader in your organization, maybe it's trying to push a project through, but the, the discomfort in the consistency and having to follow up, you know, like, cause you talk about, okay, I gotta, you call them back or you ask them, do you find, do you pick up the phone 
or do you email? Like, how do you get through for those of us that are uncomfortable with the con having to continually following to follow up with somebody without feeling like we're stalking them or without feeling that in a way you're almost like justifying your worth, right? And you can almost like lose the value of your worth when you don't get that response back. So how do you handle that emotion? Because I feel like that's such a powerful thing that for so many of us, any human being, um, any professional probably experiences. Yeah, great question. So let me take um, the emotion part first and then move to how to persevere. You know, I want people to know, first of all, it's natural to have emotion around extending yourself and, and persevering, whether it's as an entrepreneur, whether it's as a woman or a person in corporate America, wherever you are, you know, to lead requires great resilience. So one of the things I do and that I teach and ask for more is I have a question in the mirror section about feelings, you know, what do I feel? And I call feelings, in fact, the F word, because a lot of us, when we're wearing a suit or wearing professional clothes, don't like the idea that we could have feelings about extending ourselves. You know, the fact is, Claudia, that, you know, I'm guessing that when you do extend yourself to people in partnership, or when you do remind people of what you have to offer, there's some emotion bound up in that, no matter how long you've been doing this, right? You know, we want to serve people. We want to know that we are, you know, valued and we want to feel competent and respected. And so I would say writing down what you feel, you know, as a practice, I've been doing it every morning right now, because a lot of times I have anxiety or things about just the state of the world. Yes. And if I write that down, I release it and I don't carry it with me into my invitations. But the other thing I would say is, you know, I have a little mental trick that I do for myself, which is every time somebody says a no, and people say no to me all the time, especially when I'm mediating, they'll be like, I'm not accepting that offer. And mentally, I just tack a right now onto the end of that. Because here's what I've found. Again, the no is not about me. The no is about other stuff. So when people say, you know, actually, um, that's not going to work for us. We're not in that place right now. I say, great, no worries, you know, I'll check back in. And then I will, I check back in in a month and I might say, hey, Claudia, I wanted you to know that I just did something for Brandy that she really loved. And by the way, I wanna take an opportunity to call out Brandy Bernoski. Yes, on the call. that's right, who connected us. Yes, who, who connected us and who is my fabulous web partner and strategist, you all should look her up. But let's say I've just done something for Brandy isn't it a disservice to you if I didn't also let you know that this was really successful? And so I have, in fact, had people say, you know, we're just not in a space to do a webinar, Alex, right now. And I've gone back to them a month later and said, you know what? I wanted you to know I just did one for a company like you where they turned it into a business development opportunity. So let me share with you what I did there. And if this is a match for you, let's get on the phone. And that sometimes will be successful. So I am persistent. You know, the, the bottom line is, Claudia, I came to a place where I believed in the worth of who I am and what I have to offer. I know that I can serve people. I know it. I know that I have a set of tools that can be profoundly helpful for people in many different right. situations. I rest in that. And we're in an uncertain world right now, but I am certain in my values, I'm certain in who I am, and I'm certain in what I have to offer. 
it's been hard won, but my goal is to have every person on the call, yes, that's you, Caro, that's you, Susan Joy, that's you, Bhavani, and Karen, and Olami, yes, is to know and rest in the things that you are certain about. It's so powerful. Thank you so much. I'm such a huge supporter of your work and I think it's so fresh and it's so groundbreaking. And I feel that you need to be the Brene Brown of, you know, of just, of, well, the Alex Carter, right? Of, um, but just, of just really transforming all of our leadership and how we work through asking asking these questions. So really brilliant. Thank you again. And thank you everybody for joining this call. Um, Claudia, I actually have, yes, please. I have a special URL for everybody. Yes. So um, if you go to my website, alexcarterasks.com forward slash she summit, um, I have prepared. So for anybody who has ordered a copy of the book, um, you can get um, a free download that gives you basically a lot of the framework. It's like a companion guide and journal to help you go through and get the most of it out of you um, as you read. So it's alexcarterasks.com forward slash she summit. Perfect. Great. That's an amazing tool. And then um, and I just want to remind everybody again that if you haven't completed our survey, Liz put that in the chat room as well. And that gets you also um, $100 off to our new membership that we're going to be announcing soon. We'd love to get your feedback. Um, we're going to be continuing to do these calls as an offer and benefit to our community, our She Summit 2020 community, which we'll be announcing that membership soon. Um, and Alex, thank you so, so much. Um, for this, for sharing this space with me and this profoundly powerful conversation. Your work is just going to change the world. So thank you so much.